You're listening to the My Victory Podcast. Because life gives us setbacks, doesn't it? Nobody's ever experienced a setback. Life gives us setbacks. We all experience different setbacks in life. But I just happen to, I happen to think that a setback can be a setup for a comeback. And I believe a, a setback can be a setup for your strongest comeback ever. And I think that there's, we've been in the series, we've been talking about four biblical principles for a strong comeback. And, and four biblical principles, they all start with the letter G, just because that's going to help you remember, not for any other reason. But these four biblical principles are going to help you come back stronger than ever before. And the first one that we've looked at in this series is sometimes we just get into situations where we just plain need God. Anybody ever been in those situations where there's, it's impossible, but it's, you know, it might be improbable, but we serve the God of the possible, and with him all things are possible, and, there, and we serve a God who makes a way where there is no way. He specializes that. We see it from the Bible all the way through, from the beginning to the end, that we serve a God who specializes in making a way where there is no way. And sometimes you experience setbacks, either self-inflicted or circumstantial-inflicted or others-inflicted on you that are impossible situations that sometimes the only way out is is God and I, I thank God that we serve a God who knows he knows every detail about us this is what the Bible says Jesus said this to his, his followers in his very first message he says don't worry about what you're going to wear what you're going to eat what you're going to you know where you're going to lay your head don't worry about all those things because hey, hey if God can take care of the sparrows he can take care of you amen and at the moment, listen, this, we, we've talked about kingdom stuff a lot here, but I want you to understand something. In a kingdom, this is how kingdoms were established for, for centuries, generations, for, for ever and ever. Kingdoms, how they got established is a kingdom would be a landowner. That's, that would be the king. That would that Anybody who came and lived on that land, they would become part of his kingdom. And you know what the amazing thing is? Is that as soon as you became part of someone's kingdom, the king was now responsible to take care of you. So when Jesus says, when Jesus says that we are part of his kingdom... Guess what? He's saying he's inviting you into his, his family, joint heirs with Christ, inviting you family, and that means that the king takes care of us. Amen? There, he's not a was God, uh, you know, uh, uh, some far off God out in, in space somewhere that, that doesn't, is too busy for us and doesn't care about us. He, it says he cares about every detail, every, including you know, the number of hairs on your head. And for some, that's more complicated than others. But he cares about he cares about about all of us, and that sometimes we just need God. The second thing we looked at is sometimes we just need grief, and and, and I know that sounds kind of counterintuitive, but listen, how we talked about this a couple weeks ago is that while we you know we can be faith filled and, and as as Christians and as a church, we can believe. In, in our amazing God can deliver us from all these things. This is, this is something that I find, I find interesting that sometimes we get so, I don't know, heavenly minded that we become earthly ignorant. That sometimes we get so, we get so uh, faith motivated that we, we deny circumstances that we're in. And grief is simply the acknowledgement of the loss of something that meant something to you and it's had a, a profound effect on you. That's what grief is. And so sometimes when you lose something, you, denial is not healthy. Correct? 
Right? Because denial is not healthy. And, and sometimes you just need to properly process. And grief is properly, grieving properly, is, is properly processing the past in order to take hold of your future. And sometimes for our comeback, we need God to deliver us. And sometimes we just need to acknowledge that we've lost something and grieve properly so that we can move to our future. Last week, we looked at the third one, which is we need genius. Which there are some setbacks that, don't, that you don't need God for. He already gave you something you need in you to move forward. That your comeback is already in you. How many did this help? Right, because we're looking at, because I mean, sometimes you look at some of these, these circumstances, right, and we're going, that's out of my hands, it's out of my control, and then all of a sudden you feel like, in certain situations, you feel like, wait a second, I was made for such a time as this. I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie down and, and, and be defeated and give up and, and all the rest. I, I was made for such a time as this and that God has, God didn't, doesn't make mistakes and he made me on purpose for a purpose for this time, for such a time as this. And while we can have all these circumstances that are going around the world, the world gets crazier, just stop listening to the news. It gets a lot more peaceful if you do that, just saying. But I mean, as everything goes crazy all around us and it's going, oh man, we, it's easy to just kind of give up and throw up your hands and saying, I guess there's nothing we can do. Wait a second. God, God's delivery system, God's plan for revival, God's plan for salvation is through us, through believers. We're his hands and his feet. And that he knew that all these, nothing these circumstances are taking him by surprise. That he, before the earth was formed, Psalm 139 says, before the earth was even formed, God put us on, he had you in mind, and he put you on this planet for this time. So there's nothing that you're not prepared for. Amen? Because sometimes we just need to acknowledge that my comeback is already in me. That everything I need for the comeback is already in me. All right, let's go to principle number four. And to set it up, let me talk about a problem we all wrestle with when it comes to setbacks. Okay. This is what, this is, and the problem, and all of us deal with this, the problem is regret. Anybody ever Battled with regret? Yeah, all of us do. Because regret, and this is when it comes to setbacks, we, we all face regret. We regret, because sometimes my own setbacks are caused by my own stupidity. Sometimes I'm just stupid. And do things that set myself back. And guess what? It's easy to get in regret and going, what was I thinking? Hindsight's always 20-20, isn't it? You can, you kind of go, what was I thinking? How did I not see that? What? You know, I mean, all, how could I have been so stupid? All the rest of it. We get into those situations. There's also times where circumstances around us, you know, there's nothing that we've done. It's not our fault. But we still battle with re regret. And the reason why we still battle with regret is because we regret having lost something we would have preferred to keep. And we would like to turn back the clock and, and we get so wrapped up in our regret about, oh, I just wish it could go back to where it was and how it was. And we get, so, we get so focused on what was that we ignore what is and specifically what, what's coming. But also we battle with regret because sometimes we just regret opportunities we missed. Right? Anybody ever battle with that? You just battle with regret and going, oh man, if I would have, if I could have, if I should have seen that and we just... We just sometimes battle with regret. 
And sometimes people can't come back from a setback because they have a mindset that constantly revisits what they cannot revise. And the truth is, while all of us battle regret, mismanaged regret becomes guilt. And then guilt, if not dealt with, becomes a glue that keeps you stuck in a season God has moved on from. All right, so mismanaged regret becomes guilt. And guilt not dealt with becomes a glue. And then I get stuck. And, I, and I'm, I'm stuck and I can't move forward in a season that God has moved on from because I trap myself. Let me give you an example of, of the process and I will walk through the process and, and, and it's a story, again, involving Jesus. But this is a story in, in regards to, uh, to, to one of his disciples and who had experienced a self-inflicted setback. Let's, let's watch this. In Luke uh, chapter 22, verse 31, Jesus says this, he says, Simon, Simon, and Simon is, is the given name of Peter, most commonly known as Peter the disciple. And Jesus is the one who changed his name to, to Peter. And Peter means rock. And Jesus, when he changed his name, he says, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not provide, prevail against it. So then at this point, it's interesting because that was a long time ago by the time we get to this point. It's interesting that, that he comes back to and Jesus comes back to you and says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Now, it's interesting that he uses Simon again because I think sometimes, and this is just what this means to me that he called out Simon, sometimes things that we have been delivered from we go back to in, in certain circumstances. So sometimes you can get delivered from addictions and then you feel like you're free and all of a sudden you slip back to when under right pressure. Sometimes we can get saved and have salvation, but we can slip back to previous lifestyles, previous things. And in these times, look at, look at, look at, look at, look at. Because sometimes people, they feel so ashamed and so guilty that they slip back, that they get stuck in that guilt glue and they can't move forward. But watch what Jesus does. Jesus calls out and says, Simon, and another pointing back to his past, who he was. He says, Simon, he, acknowledging that he's going to slip back. But before Simon even has a setback, Jesus is calling out his comeback. Do you notice that? This is the God we serve. Because Jesus says, hey, I pray that your faith will not fail, but when you do fail, Peter, strengthen your brothers. I mean, Jesus is already calling out Peter's comeback. This is the God we serve. Before you even slip, God hasn't given up on you. He knows, he knows that we're going to have setbacks and that we're going to have slip-ups and we're going to do these kind of things. But before we even do that, God's still speaking to your future, to your calling, to your destiny, to your comeback. Amen? Verse 32, then he says, but he replied, this is Peter's reply, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. And Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times that you know me. I don't think Peter was lying. I think Peter was absolutely sincere. 
But like many of us, he overpromises in a time of peace and underdelivers in a time of pressure. Anybody ever done that? Were you overpromised in a time of peace? I will never, I will, I will do this, I'll always be here, I'll always do that. And then under pressure, we can't deliver. And here, listen, this is sometimes the biggest points of our regret. Is that because when, when we say, I will never or I will always, when we say that, we really, really mean it. And then under pressure, because we didn't foresee the pressure coming, under pressure, when we fail and we fall, we feel that much more regret. Because we feel, along with regret, is we feel incredible shame. And shame is, is, a, is a weapon of the enemy. Shame because we feel like we should have been stronger. Or we should have, how come we, that, that took us out? Or how come, I'm, how come I'm not stronger? How come I'm not mentally stronger? How come I'm not still in faith? How come I'm having questions? How come I'm having doubts? And all these things come out, and this leads to regret and all these things, and what, what, what happened under that situation? How could, I, how could I have ever done that? And this is, in these instances, I mean, Peter literally, I believe, sincerely and honestly meant, now I would die. He meant it when he said it. And it's easy to overpromise in a time of peace and underdeliver, under pressure. And that leads to regret and shame because we're surprised with our own weakness sometimes. Skipping down to the actual event in verse 54, it says this Then seizing him, that's him being Jesus. They led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. And Peter followed at a distance. And when there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and then sat down together, Peter sat down with them. And, and uh, next verse says, A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight, and she looked closely at him and said, This man was with him, but he denied it, saying, Woman, I don't know him. He said, Just to a servant girl. This is Peter who just hours before said, I would die for you, and faces the pressure of just of, you know, watching his best friend being arrested and emotional, you know, unexpected times and all, all of that. And then a, a mere servant girl, not really a big threat, but he, he caves. It says, a little later, someone else saw him and said, you are also one of them. Peter says, I, man, I am not. And then about an hour later, Another asserted, certainly this, this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. Then look at this next verse. This, this next verse breaks my heart every single time. Because I always put myself into Peter's shoes. It says this, then the Lord looked, turned and looked straight at Peter. Apparently Peter was, was off in a way that he could still be in visual eyesight of Jesus, who's in the midst of a trial having been arrested. The rooster crows, and Jesus turns and looks. And it's not a condemning look. I, I don't, it wasn't condemning at all. It was, it was a look of, I don't know, a, a probably of, of pain and knowing what Peter was going through and just kind of a look of grace and saying, Peter, I'm still with you. I'm with you. I can't imagine that loving, that loving look. And then Peter remembered the word that the Lord had spoken to him before the rooster crows today, you'll disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Now this 
Immediately, this shows us that Peter experienced regret. He grieved bitterly. And remember, regret is going to be natural. That would have been natural for anybody. But mismanaged regret becomes guilt, and then guilt becomes a glue that keeps you stuck. Now, on your chairs, you all, you all see these towels? You can take them out now and grab them. Because in sports, this, is, we're, this comeback season, we're talking about sports, and I love sports. And I, I watch a lot of sports. My wife uh, ch- challenges me to watch more. Um, no, I, just kidding. <laughs> Actually, a couple of weeks ago, NFL season starts, and on, she gave me a kiss, and she says, well, she says, I will see you in March. <laughs> I'm a football widow, is what she says. Anyway, it's all good. But, no, just kidding. But in sports, I, there's, there's a number of things that towels are used for, but there's three that kind of really stand out to me. And in sports... Um, there's, have you ever seen, you know, a team, a guy that's made a bad play or a team that should be winning is not, and you see maybe their star or somebody sitting on the bench in this pose. Anybody ever seen this pose? Anybody ever see that? Those of you who watch sports to see it. What is that? That's the shame pose, right? That's the pose of get the cameras out of my face. I don't want, this, I don't want anyone on TV to see me crying. I'm ashamed, I'm embarrassed, I'm mad, whatever it might be. It's the shame pose. And Peter's first response is this. He ran out, weeping bitterly, ran away in the shame pose. And if you stay in this pose, you cannot come back. See, it's frustrating as a fan to watch an athlete do that. Because often I see athletes do that. You know, it, it, toward, it, the game's not over yet. It hasn't ended yet. There's still a possibility of a comeback. But the moment I see an athlete in that shame pose, I'm like, the game's over. Because you can't come back in that pose. The truth is sometimes we are in the way of our own comeback. Because we get stuck in the shame pose. Another thing that a towel is used for in sports is, especially in, in boxing, and it's a white towel. So sometimes in boxing, when you see this, that's not good. That's when somebody throws in the towel. And the second, the second pose that, that happens is that, is that when we give up, we throw in the towel. And the truth is, is if we get into shame and we get, we get trapped into shame and we don't process that shame and the regret properly and we get into the, the, the glue of guilt and all the rest of it, we end up throwing in the towel. Judas did. And had Judas stuck around just one more day, Jesus would have got him out too. So don't throw in the towel. We serve the God of the comeback. See, what did Peter do? Peter, he got so embarrassed and shame. What did he do? Peter attempted to throw in the towel himself. He went, you know what Peter did after the death of Jesus and after he denied all the rest of it? Peter went back fishing. He went back to his old life and basically threw in the towel of his calling. And said, I'm not good enough to be the fisher of men that Jesus said. I'm not good enough. 
And, and the, here's, the, here's the amazing thing about the story is that Peter went back to fishing after Jesus rose again from the dead. So he watched Jesus have the comeback of comebacks, and yet because he couldn't deal with his own shame, he still threw in the towel. But thank God Jesus didn't leave him there. Because sometimes the thing that gets us stuck is not the enemy, but it's the end in me. That I write the end before. We blame the enemy and circumstances, all the rest of it. But I threw in the towel. I can't come back from that. But even if I do that, God will pursue you too, just like he pursued Peter. And this is what leads us to our fourth biblical principle. Sometimes we need grace. If we're going to win over regret and guilt, we need the weapon of grace. Grace is the result of God's goodness and not our own. Come on. God, God expected, Jesus wasn't, wasn't flustered that, that Peter was going to have a setback. And he was offer, already offering grace to Peter before he even had his setback. And God's not surprised that you have a setback too. God's not surprised when I'm stupid. Come on. And he's not, he's not saying that because I'm stupid, I've nullified my call. Come on. Because he offers this thing called grace, which is God's unmerited favor. See, and grace is not just forgiveness. This also cleanses our conscience. Because the writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 9, 14. He says this. He says, how much more then will the blood of Jesus, the blood of Christ, who through eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our conscience. Not just forgive us of our sins, but cleanse our conscience from the acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. Even the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, the purpose of you having a cleansed conscience is not so that you stand that you are going to keep on moving and serve God in your calling. Your, your past is not nullifying your future. Because conviction, listen, 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 listen. Somebody needs to hear this. Conviction moves forward and makes changes. Condemnation, which is a con of damnation, keeps us trapped in the past. Grieving old opportunities as if God cannot create new ones. Peter went fishing, and Jesus came to him and called him the exact same way. Look at when, when Peter went fishing, John 21, we see, we see Jesus doing the exact same thing he did the first time he met Peter. The first time he met Peter, Peter was fishing. He had fished all night. He was fished all night, and all of a sudden, this carpenter from Nazareth rocks along the, the shore and says, hey, how's your fishing going? Have you had any luck last night? And he's like, no, caught nothing. He said, try throwing the, the, the net on the other side of the boat, to which I'm thinking Peter, the professional fisherman, is going, hey, you stay to your carpentry thing. I'll stick to my fishing thing because the water goes under. The other side of the boat doesn't matter. Like, you know, this, <laughs> let me explain to you how this works. Right? The, fish, the fish don't pick sides as to which side of the boat they're going to. But they obeyed. For some reason, they obeyed. They threw the net on the other side and, and got so, such a large catch. And that's, where they, that's the miracle. Well, in John 21, Peter went fishing. 
Jesus walks along the shore and says, hey, how's the fishing going? He says, we haven't caught anything. We've been here all night. He says, throw the net on the other side of the boat. To which I would think at that point, Peter would be going, wait. There's only one person who'd be crazy enough to tell me something like that. He throws his net on the other side and catches a whole bunch of fish. And actually, I think it's 153. Because John wrote down the exact number, John 21. Check it out, it's crazy. And then Peter goes, whoa. In other words, Jesus did the exact same calling and said, Peter, because you had a setback, that didn't nullify your call. What are you doing here? Then he says, Peter, do you love me? Of course I love you. I mean, Peter's thinking in shame and in the guilt and all the rest of it. Now he's even questioning if I love him. But then, but then Jesus says, feed my sheep. Three times he asked him, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Feed my sheep. In other words, he's focusing on his future and his calling and what he's supposed to be doing and saying that that hasn't changed. And what, what Jesus is saying by asking him if he loves him, what Jesus is saying is he wanted Peter's service to be based on his love for Jesus, not based on his sense of his own self-worth. You gotta get that. Because here's a question for you. Let me ask this question. Has God forgiven you? I mean, most of us, yeah, easily, we can easily answer, yeah, yeah, yes, yes, yes. Some of us have more difficulty answering that, but the truth is, yes, God's forgiven us. No matter what your past is, God's forgiven you. The second question is, have you forgiven yourself? Because when God forgives you, you go to heaven. But when you forgive yourself, you go forward. Which leads me to the third way a towel is used. Anybody ever seen this in sports? This is the rally towel. Come on. This is this is this is this is serving notice to the other team. When you start seeing an entire stadium of people starting to do this, come on. You start seeing this kind of thing going on. It gives me goosebumps just watching y'all. Yeah, see this thing going on. You can see the, uh, the opponent going, uh-oh, uh-oh. And we start doing this and we start saying, wait a second, devil. Come on. 
What an incredible message. I don't know. I know you're at home right now. You've got that white hanky or that pillowcase and you're just doing it on your own, but you are not alone. You're doing it with many, many other people across all of our campuses. In that message, uh, Jesus, or Pastor Kelly talked about the comeback season and coming out of something that was horrible into something that is brand new. And maybe you've been watching this comeback season from the first message, from the first beginning of the series, and you've been thinking, Man, maybe I've been sitting on the fence with God, and I don't really know if I'm in a comeback season or if I'm left in, in my old season. I want to encourage you today. We're going to take an opportunity right now that by a simple prayer, saying a simple prayer, you can begin a relationship with Jesus and start to realize the comeback that he wants to bring around in your life. And in Romans, it says this, that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised his son from the dead, then you can be saved. You can have relationship with him. And like we talked about in the prayer card section where it's no longer you living, but Christ living in you. I want to give you that opportunity today. It doesn't mean that you're part of the church. It doesn't mean that you're signing up for some membership. It simply means that you have a personal relationship with Jesus. So why don't we go right into that right now? Bow your heads, close your eyes wherever you're at. This is between you and God. And just repeat after me. Say, Dear Jesus, I confess and I believe that you are God. And I ask you to be a part of my life. Come into my life. Be Lord of my life, my Savior, and my friend. I thank you that my past is past and that I can begin a brand new life with you right now in Jesus' name. Wow, if you said that prayer for the first time, I want you to click the link that is provided in the online chat. Our hosts are putting links up there that says, I have decided, I want you to click that link and, and let us know that you made that decision today. What a powerful, powerful decision that is. Thank you for joining us today on our My Victory podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, check us out at myvictory.ca. If you'd like to watch our live stream, go to victorylethbridge.tv.